This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Welcome back. It has been a confusing roller coaster of a ride on the global stock markets the past couple of weeks. Investors have become increasingly nervous, and with good cause, I might add. Interest rates are set to rise, and uh, we have seen some dizzying drops in the main indices. This week, keep your fingers crossed, the markets seem to be coming back. And to top it all off, we're in RSP season, which is the time that a lot of people invest their money, though probably you should be doing it all year. Uh, So there are so many questions, and I am very happy that we have our financial advisor with us to try and put some sanity back into this. Alan Small, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, and before we get into it, I'm going to give the numbers out again. People, you may as well take advantage of it. He's here to answer your questions. Uh, steady hand, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. So, Alan, are we done with this correction? I guess it's a is, is it a correction with the markets coming back? It has to be ten percent. That's right. So it did reach ten percent uh, very briefly uh, with the with the I guess the the second half of the pullback. We saw a quick thousand point drop early last week, and by the end of the week, we, we again saw another thousand point drop on Thursday. Again, this is the Dow Jones. So we're talking the Dow Jones specifically. Most of the markets, even the TSX, did reach that correction point or close to it at around 10%. So when the market falls 10% from the previous high, that is considered a correction. However, since then, the market has rebounded somewhat. In the U.S., half of the losses have been made back, not including, obviously, what's going on today. And in Toronto, we've made back some of the losses as well. So it was a very brief correction by definition. And um, in my opinion, I think these volatile times will continue. I think we got used to this uh, world of non or very low volatility and it was abnormal we usually see more volatility than that and we got used to it and so when we see the markets I guess fall very quickly that adds to a bit of the panic and the computers started selling off and that led to more selling and volatility really ramped up uh, I know that over the years one of the things I have always heard from financial people is uh, don't pull your money out because when the market comes back, it it does so uh, you know in a couple of good days, and if you if you miss those days, um, you're. Uh out of luck. That is true. There are some very big rebound days, if you want to call them, or very good days in the market. And if you were not to be invested during those five or 10 days out of the course of the whole year, I've seen statistics show that your returns actually would be cut in half. So that is very, that is a correct statement that 
when the market does pull back, that is probably the worst time to pull your money out. What I think you want to do, especially in the last week or two, take a step back. Let's see where the markets go. I think things have calmed down to a certain degree. We saw some inflation data coming out of the U.S. just this morning, and it was a little bit higher than expected. What happened? Well, the market sold off on the open. It was down somewhere around two, 250 points. But however, by lunch, the Dow Jones and the New York markets were back up once again. So the market is struggling to figure out what is an appropriate level for a higher interest rate environment and a higher inflationary environment, which is what we're going to see going forward. You know, I've I've talked to uh, some uh, investment people who say, you know what, the market hasn't gone down enough. And I'm not so sure that is the case. You know, we're seeing corporate earnings out of the U.S. and Canada extremely strong. Corporate earnings in the U.S. are going to grow somewhere around 15 16%, the highest we've seen in a long time. Now, whether or not this is the top, does it go any higher from here, or is this as good as it gets? I think that's what the market is trying to digest. And if it is as good as it gets, and even if next year maybe earnings go up by 10 or 12%, that is obviously a bit of a decrease. You couple that with higher interest rates, higher inflation. And I can understand why the market is really trying to price in you know, the appropriate level that it should be trading at. Okay, uh, so... It is. It's it's RSP season. It's tax time. Uh, what are you telling people to do with their money this time around? Well, what I'm telling people is stay the course. If you were going to invest your RSP money in a good quality investment just two weeks ago, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing it today. And if the price is maybe 5 to 10% cheaper on that investment, that's just gravy on top. So I think you want to continue to do what you were doing before. The volatility is going to be what it's going to be, and it will work itself through. And I think we're starting to see it work itself through. I think the market is really starting to figure out or, or, or understand that in the U.S., they're going to see a, a 3% 10-year bond rate. And in Canada, we're going to see a 2.5% 10-year bond rate. And once the market can, can I guess, uh, uh, understand that and be okay with it, the market should continue to rise. But I don't think you're going to see the gains we saw in the U.S. last year. And I think, you know, more grinding higher is more the course that I think people should expect. What about for people who are older, uh, perhaps they're not working, they're retired or not working full time, they don't have uh, a long time horizon and they're saying, you know, given that's the situation, you know, if if there is more volatility to come, I have a problem with that. Yeah, and I think volatility is the key word here. You know, if the market were to sell off gradually 5 6 7% over a period of weeks and months and maybe a year, I think... Everyone could be, would be much better in terms of accepting it. But when you fall as much as we did in such a very short period of time, that's when people's stomachs really go for, you know, for a roller coaster ride. And I think that really scares a lot of people. But I think those that are a little bit older, a little bit more into the more conservative side of things, perhaps this might not be a bad thing because maybe we are now finally one step closer to earning a higher interest rate on our savings dollars. You know, For a long time now, people have been forced to move into the stock market because they couldn't earn enough on a GIC or bond. But now that rates are getting higher, we are now getting closer to back in the day when you could actually buy a GIC or bond and make a rate higher than the inflation rate. So I think those that are conservative actually are okay with a higher interest rate going forward. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Mary in Oakville. Hello, Mary. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. You're very welcome. 
Um, so my situation is that we have, I, my sister and I have another sister who is on ODSP. She's now 55 years old, and when my dad passed away, he left her portion of the money into a trust account, a discretionary trust, so that we only have access, so we make sure she doesn't get more than what ODSP allows. <laughs> so the way it's invested is with the TD Bank, and so it's, it seems like a pretty secure investment, and it has been, and it's at a medium risk. And so we've managed to be able to sustain the amount of money that was in there, which it's not a, like it's a lot of money, but not. It's about 120000 And so we've been able to manage to keep that level with because it's, it's done really well. And so I worry, though, about her future because, you know, in a few years when the ODSP runs out, she's going to be only getting old age security. So we want to make sure that we have a good nest egg to keep her funded for as long as she lives. So I guess my concern is should we stay in this medium investment or should we go down to a lower, safer investment? You know, that's what I'm worried about. And that's a, I think that's a great question and a question that everybody, uh, you know, many ask. You know, I guess it comes down to risk versus reward. By going down to a lower risk investment in this environment, yes, you will have less of a chance of, of losing money, but at the same time, you will not make as much. So a moderate or medium risk portfolio right now means that you're invested in the stock market to a certain degree, maybe on a conservative level, but you are still invested in the stock market. So it is very possible that if the market were to fall, that your investments would fall with it. So I guess what you have to do is take a step back and figure out, well, can you afford to to be in a lower risk investment, earning less, but still be able to, you know, support and do the things that you need to do with this money going forward. If the answer is no, then I believe you would need to stay in that moderate risk and then try to do as best you can by diversifying, by making sure you actually are in conservative growth investments. However, you know, that's a question I think everybody needs to ask themselves. Do you need to be in the risk or do you need to be at the risk level that you're at to continue to do what you need to do for your future. Right. Okay, thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay. All right. Uh, William, in, William in Toronto, hello. Hi. Uh, I'd like to take an infrastructure approach uh, to, to everything being said here. It's all good things so far. Um, first, I, I'd like to bring to the, to the attention of everyone that uh, for, for comments and your guests as well, um, that uh, the Bank of Canada uh, is a member of the G7 now. Before they were a member of the G7, before 1976, I think, uh, uh, the Bank of Canada could print their own money uh, for whatever they needed it, and you could uh, the government could pay it back whenever they wanted at very low interest rates or, or something or nothing, and uh, uh, we were debt free. Uh, so, okay, what's your question, William? <laughs> uh, so. Uh, the answer to everything is in Paul Hellyer's book, The Money Mafia. He oh. uh, puts the problem forth and he okay, creates a solution as well. Okay, William. Uh, okay, I guess there was no question there. Uh, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we will have more with Alan Small on investing in uh, the newly volatile market conditions. We're in RSP season, we're in tax season. So um, he's here to take calls and questions. The number is 416 360 toll free 1-866-744-740, and we'll be right back. Toll free one 866 
It's time for a plan and a strategy as Fight Back with Libby's Nimer on Zoomer Radio puts a financial management advisor in your corner. Alan Small of the Alan Small Financial Group with Hollis Wealth. Okay, uh, we're back. I'm here with Alan Small. We're taking your calls and your questions. Let's go to Robert in Toronto. Hi, Robert. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? And to your guest, hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm 80 years of age, and I'm in a a position where it's a low interest or low uh, risk I'm taking. And I was just over at the bank today, and I had some uh, protected uh, investments there in the TFSA account, and they've come due. And uh, then we're going through the interest rates, and, of course, it's tax-free on the interest rates and the protected. But they suggested going into uh, a market rate or market value, I guess they call it, and uh, for three years, but um, I had a couple come due, and it worked out that you have to pay tax on that. So when you take the tax off that interest rate, which is not a great deal more than what you make in the tax-free account, it comes down to the same as or less than what you would put into your tax-free account. So what would be the purpose of getting one or the other? Is one better than the other? Or Now, when you say a market rate GIC, does that mean the rate is, is basically uh, moves with the actual uh, index or market itself? It does. There's a basic uh, rate at which you, they'll pay, and then it, the, the rest of it, move, or it moves with the rate of the market, and it could go up or could go down, but they guarantee your original input. Original input. I've, to be honest, I've never been one uh, to go into those types of investments. I've always believed that if you are going to uh, have an investment tied to the market, then I think you should be in the market itself. I think that if you are going to buy something that's going to pay you interest and in low risk levels, I think that's when you can look at buying a corporate bond or perhaps a GIC if you can get a, a decent rate on it. But if you're going to go out and buy something um, that is in the market or at least attached to or affiliated with the stock market, you know, I'd be I'd sooner rather go out there and, and buy you know something in the market that I think is uh, of conservative nature. So I think you know I, I know a lot of uh, institutions are creating products that do those kinds of things because they realize that many people aren't are not wanting the products they have, which pay very little interest. And they realize that people are now being forced to move into the stock market to get a higher rate of return. So what are they doing? They're creating these GICs or interest-bearing products that are attached to the markets. And I think that's kind of a way that they're trying to be in the middle, if you will. And uh, I I don't believe in being in the middle. I think you're either in the market or you're not and earning a low uh, rate of interest, but at least you know your money is going to be safe. Isn't there a lot of fluctuation in the the uh, the market? Are you talking about stock market or bond market? Well, I would be talking about if they're if they're selling you a, or recommending an investment that's attached to the stock market. Then I'm saying you know go out and, and be in the stock market because what'll happen is yeah even though your original principal is guaranteed. If you're in an investment for three years, four years, five years, and over that period of time the stock market goes down, you're not making any money anyways. And so you're losing roughly 2% a year, which is the inflation rate. So I think to have a positive investment, to actually make money today, you need to make more money than the inflation rate minus any taxes. And right now the inflation rate's around 2%. So if your GIC is making less than 2%, you're actually losing spending power on those dollars that you're investing. And so your real, as we call it, the real rate of return is actually negative. So you have to be mindful of these types of products that look good maybe when you take a quick look at them, but when you dig deeper into them, sometimes they're not as good as they may seem. How about 
paying your broker, wouldn't that come into the uh, discount off your profit? Uh, sure. It all gets factored in. So if there are any fees that your advisor charges, you would factor that in into the break-even point of your investment. Absolutely. So it's better to do a self-directed then. Well, self-directed, again, keep in mind there are a lot of, most plans today are self-directed, which means you can pretty much buy anything you like, but advisors are there to help you choose the correct investment for yourself. Okay. Thank you. My pleasure. Okay. Let's go to uh, Jim in Pickering. Hello, Jim. Hi. Good afternoon, Libby and to Alan. You know what, I'm thinking creatively uh, lately, and I just wondered about this as a strategy. So people are in their own homes, older people, say over 70, and they've got a lot of equity in their home, and sometimes they downsize or sell just to monetize that equity. What about uh, taking a reverse mortgages, a reverse mortgage and buying an annuity? As rates go up, of course, the annuity payouts go up, and uh, that way they get to stay in the house and they have the annuity which you don't have to pay back until you die and you know what yes it cuts down the um, estate but sometimes their kids have a lot of money anyway so what do you think for that as a strategy well i think overall you know it depends on the person i've never been one to to buy annuities um in the last i would say 10 years 15 years i haven't even looked at annuities and what i've found with annuities is when you actually call up the insurance companies who you purchase annuities from and you actually ask them what are your annuities paying I, the answer I've received, funny enough, is that they don't even give me a rate. They actually tell me, no, we don't give out the rate. But we'll just tell you how much you'll get back. Mm-hmm. And what you find in most cases, or what I've found over the years, is the money you're getting back is just the money you've given them. So it's more return of principal or return of your capital. So in that respect, I've been more inclined to actually go out and, and make an investment uh, in, if you are retired, let's say, your RIF account. I've, right. I've been quicker to, to buy or create a nice diversified portfolio uh, in a RIF account account versus buying annuity and just really get back the money you've put in because interest rates have been so low that annuities to me just don't make sense. So again, yes, it's a way that I guess you're protecting your money sort of, but as I've said earlier, unless you're making, you know, a few percent net after taxes, uh, you know, it's, you know, to be better than the inflation rate, I just don't think annuities are a good product at this time. Maybe later on, as you've said, as interest rates rise, annuities could come back into favor. But I think it's going to take a little while. You know, Alan, there is one advantage, and that that uh, payment from the annuity never runs out. It's for life. And, you know, you listen to a lot of programs. I do. I've been in the, you know, interested for years. And they say number one worry is uh, for people is that they're going to outlive their money. Well, that way the payments never stop if you live to be, who knows, 110 right? And that's a good, good luck with that. <laughs> and, 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 uh, happy birthday. That would yeah. be a nice result. And, and that's a great point. But, uh, you know, I will also say that, you know, investing for the long term, you know, you could go out 10 years, 15 years, and you'd be hard pressed to find a 10 year period where investors lost money as well. So oh, of I think over the long term, I think investing definitely pays off more so than annuities, especially at these low levels. But you are correct. There are some positives to annuities. Just right now with interest rates so low, I'm just not a big fan. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Okay. Let's go to Bill in Oshawa. Hello, Bill. Good afternoon to you, Libby, and to your guest, Alan. Thank Good afternoon. You. May I ask a question, please, regarding TFSAs? Sure. I do not currently own one. I'd like to open a TFSA. Once I do so at an institution, how much could I invest this year? Well, that's a great question. So, 
on an annual basis, or at least for this year, what you normally you can put in is fifty five hundred. However, if you've never owned a TFSA in the past, that amount over the past, I think since two thousand nine, that, that when this actual account was created, you've been able to carry forward this room. And so, right now, anyone who hasn't contributed a dollar yet to TFSAs can actually contribute up to $57,500 per person. So, the answer to your question is, you can actually contribute up to $57,500 to a TFSA if you were to open one up brand new today. Now, under the rules, can I open this TFSA, let's say, and spread it over three different institutions like BMO and uh, Royal Bank and TD Bank to reduce the risk? Absolutely. Now, I don't know what what kind of risk you would want to be reducing. If you're opening this TFSA at three different institutions, the risk will come based on what you actually own inside of those accounts. So whether you own, you know, bonds or GICs or stocks or, or whatnot. But if you wanted to open up three different tax-free savings accounts with three different institutions, you can. The limits will still apply. You'll just have to combine them all. Might be a little tedious with respect to paperwork, but I guess you could do it if you wanted to. Oh, I see. I see. So it's not unlike an RRSP where you have to transfer the entire uh, let's say, vessel from one institution to another, this can be spread over more than one. Yeah, and your RSP could be held at different institutions as well. I, I've come across many people who have an RSP with one bank or one financial institution and another and another. Again, I find that over the years, that gets pretty pretty difficult to keep track of everything. And what I end up seeing is a lot of individual investors that I meet end up that end up coming you know, and opening an account with me. We end up actually consolidating all their portfolios into one place because it is a lot easier to keep track of. You have one investment advisor, one person looking after things. And there's, you know, the risk of duplication if you have many things in many different places. That's a risk I don't think you want I mean, to take. You can have an account with different, the TFSA is just a vehicle. You can have different investments inside one account. Absolutely. And yeah. you could have you could have five different TFSA accounts, five different institutions if you like. It just gets probably a little bit difficult to keep track of things from a statement perspective. But yes, I guess you could have that. So the figure, just to repeat myself, is fifty-seven thousand five hundred this year. That that the fifty-seven thousand five hundred is for the life of the plan. Every year we get to add another fifty-five hundred dollars. So next year it'll be something like sixty-three thousand that you can contribute to the plan for throughout the course of the plan. The reason why it's fifty-seven five is because you've said you haven't contributed to it as yet. That's oh, correct. Yeah. Okay. Thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you very much for your advice and good afternoon to you both. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, And uh, we are out of time. Alan, what would you like to leave us with? Well, I would say that right now the market is volatile. I think people should get used to this more more of a volatile environment. I don't think it's going to be as volatile as we've seen over the past week. But I think going forward, it's going to be more volatile than we've seen over the past couple of years. But don't be afraid. This is normal. This is at times healthy. And perhaps there'll be some good opportunities to buy some good quality investments that are a little bit cheaper. Okay. Alan Small, thank you so much for that. You are a senior investment advisor with the Alan Small Financial Group, which is part of Hollis Wealth. Very interesting and timely information. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back for today. We now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.